I think the bigger question that, that I'm asking as a leader, that our staff is asking as a leader, and that we can all kind of ask together is how do we move forward as a church? You know, um, I don't believe that God pushed pause on Soma Church just because we don't have the typical time slot of a church. We're meeting in someone else's building. Um, you guys don't feel like God's pushed pause at all, do you? If you do, then we probably need to change our, our name, you know, Church on the Pause. We can just put it on the billboard. We're Church on the Pause. We're just kind of sitting around until we have something. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, we're not paused at all. What I wanted to do tonight is I want to kind of start, you know, the teaching and stuff by asking you a question, and that is this. Why have you been a part of Soma Church? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's what I've been thinking about um, over the past couple of weeks, really. Like, why are people here? We have, you know... Um, quite a few people that are involved in our church. Uh, they're in and out, but they're here, they're involved. Why are you a part of this church? Why are you a part of Soma Church? There has to be a reason. Because when you put yourself somewhere, when you place yourself in, into something, you have a reason for it. There's some reason that you have in mind. There's something that you see. There's something that you're hoping for. Uh, I was thinking about our, our youngest son, Rowan. Since he's basically, been, well, even before he was able to walk, He's been this little wiry, flexible, monkey-like creature, you know, that can just do anything, flipping and, and flopping and twisting and all kinds of stuff. And uh, when he was a baby, he would say, mm, flump flip, mm, flump flip. And that meant that he wants to do a flump flip and he wants a front flip. Sorry, I can't even say it right. We've been saying flump flip for so long that we don't even have to say fr- front flip, you know. And so, but anyway, we noticed that he was just super, super... Um, um, flexible and this and that. We thought, man, maybe we should put him in gymnastics. I mean, we kind of had this vision of him kind of maybe doing something great. He could be great at it. And so we thought about putting him in gymnastics. Now, we couldn't afford it, and so we didn't. And we just kind of kept upgrading our trampoline instead, you know. And he's still flexible, and he still jumps around, and he still does flunt flips. And now Emma Kate does flunt flips, and sometimes I even do flunt flips. And they're fun. I mean, they're fun, you know. <laughs> and so I thought about Charlotte, who several years ago, um, for, for, she had this desire to paint. She, I guess, maybe always has. I'm assuming you always kind of wanted to paint and maybe did when you were younger. And she wanted to get back into it. She had some sort of, she envisioned something about herself as a painter. And so she put herself in, she placed herself into art lessons. And she started painting. And uh, Melissa and I and Marvin and, and maybe even some of you have paintings in our house still hanging up today from that season of when she was taking art lessons. I thought about the Clarks. I was talking to him earlier. Sean and, and Jerry and, and their kids, they, I guess they love drama. They love acting. They see something in their kids. And so this, this past summer, they put themselves into this theatrical production of The Wizard of Oz. And everybody except for Jerry was in that play. And they all did this together. And, and you know... Um, I thought about Sean, Sean Kirkpatrick, our worship leader. He's wanted to um, be a pilot, I guess, since you were very young, you know, just always kind of wanted to fly. And so he, at some point a few years ago, he said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And he put himself, I'm talking really fast, aren't I? That's, okay. Sorry. Is it fine? Thank you, Brian. <laughs> but Sean, I can remember when Sean said, I'm going for this. He started taking flying lessons. He started paying the fees for instructors, and he started logging the hours and taking the tests, and he's almost, I mean, he's going to be flying me around the United States before we know it. You know, I'm super pumped about this. So when you, um, you, sometimes you have something that you envision, and so you just plop yourself right smack into the middle of whatever it is. So what is it that you saw? What is it that you envisioned that made you place yourself, plant yourself, at Soma Church. And some of you are kind of in the process now. You're like, I think this may be where God wants me. And you're con- contemplating being here. I've heard, um, man, I don't know how many people that have, have come and been a part of Soma say, um, 
You know, I visited several churches before I came to Soma, um, but once we got here, we knew this is where we were supposed to be. Why? Why? Why did you plant yourself here after visiting other churches, whatever? Why? It surely ain't because we've got the latest and the greatest anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've always had borrowed buildings. We've always had super simple setups. Super simple setups. You know what I mean? Um, we don't hype anything. We're not the most trendy people in the world. Why are you here? That's the question that I've been just, I want to ask. Why are you here? Because you have involved yourself. You've involved in your family. You've entrusted this place to yourself, your family, to Soma Church. Why? What did you envision? Now, my hope is that, that you connected to the vision and the values of Soma Church even before maybe you saw them written anywhere, before you saw them on the website, you know, the written version of our vision and values. Hopefully you experienced the vision of Soma Church and you experienced what we value through the people when you visited, you know, through the ministry, through the worship, through the teaching, um, through maybe the love that you felt, the acceptance that you felt, uh, through the community that you've experienced since you've been here. There's some reason. I hope that's you know, part of what it is. But my guess is that you have placed yourself here at Soma Church because you envisioned something. I want to take just a couple of minutes, and I want to hear from you. I want to know, why the heck are you here? I want to know why you're here. So somebody raise your hand. You're welcome to stand up and shout it out. I don't care. I just want to know why you're here. Yes, ma'am. Melissa. Stand up, girl. We can't hear you. Oh, thank you. Hey, listen, we'll cut you that check after the service. <laughs> I appreciate it. You did just perfect. <laughs> thank you. That's very nice. Someone else? Ken Reed. Hey, hey. Uh, I came because we're just moving officially into Tyler. Didn't know anyone outside of Soma Church, so that's why we initially came. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Someone else. We can do this all day, especially if you talk about my preaching some more. I don't see something. Keep up. No, I'm kidding. Carrie Barrera. Uh, missions minded. That's true. It's good. Three more. Three more. All right. Speak up. I know it's going to be good. They got to hear you. So I have visited a lot of churches as well. 
Yeah. Amy Martindale, thank you. Uh, two more. Christy, Wyatt, Zimmerman. That's good. One more. One more. Last but not... Sean Clark. Stand all the way up, man. We've got to get the full power of who you are. He's like, I'm tall. Actually, I didn't want to come here. I had a okay, sit down. <laughs> and uh, and I, I love that church. I served at that church, but uh, we had a growing family, and I wanted a church that was growing, and you guys were growing. Seen a lot of babies come through here, and uh, so she said that. She's a midwife. uh, And you guys continue to grow, and that's why we continue to. Awesome, man! It blesses my heart to hear that, and you know, I feel the same way about those things, and. And sometimes those things that you're talking about, and all of you probably have things even more than that, maybe reasons, and maybe you're scared to stand up or whatever, but there's things, there's reasons that you're here, and, and maybe something that you've envisioned, and sometimes uh, maybe those things are, especially in the beginning, um, and for me they still are, some th- sometimes those things are so clear what you see or what you envision or what you hope for, they're so, the picture of them is so clear in your head and, and in your heart that could, you could almost just like reach up and pick those things out of the air, you know, like off of a tree, as if it were, as if it were a piece of fruit. You guys hear what I'm saying? Um, and maybe there's been other things in your life that have been like that. You can see it so clear, you could almost pick it up, pick it off of a tree like it was a piece of fruit. And I got to thinking about something, though, and, and you can start writing some things down. Um, something that I learned a long time ago and continually, you know, is, is being stirred in me is that you will see fruit. Speaking of fruit, you will see fruit when you plant and then when you water. You're only going to see fruit, in fact, when you plant the seed and water the tree. Now, stay with me. You're going to see the fruit if you will plant the seed and you will water the tree. You can't just do one of those. You can't only plant. You can't only water. You can't only dream about the fruit that you want to have. You have to do all three. Well, this past year um, that we moved in with our mother and father-in-law, or my mother and father-in-law, Chris and Charlotte, we all have a house together, and we have some acreage, and we planted. We started planting fruit trees. We planted a little orchard. We have like 20 trees out in the pasture and a few trees around the house. Well, recently, just recently, we started noticing that the trees around the house are just like these lush trees, leaves everywhere, growing, spreading out, getting thicker. And we're like, man, but the trees out in the pasture are like, they're alive, <laughs> but, but only barely. You know what I mean? It's like, help me. You know, they're just kind of dying out there. And uh, we were like, man, what the heck? And so we realized what was happening is that we were watering the trees up, up close to the house way more than we were watering the ones out there because of how easy it is mainly. You know, you're already watering the flower beds and the grass, and so well, the trees are right there, so you water those too, and so those are just coming alive. But it takes a while to water 20 trees. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, especially the way we do it. We haven't put any kind of like irrigation thing out there, so you do it by hand, and, and we just haven't been doing it as well, and so you can see the effects of that. And so what do you think that we did? 
Yeah, we started making a more intentional effort to water those trees. And, uh, you know, we just started, I mean, we got the boys out there every day. Somebody's out there watering those trees. Um, And we did that because we knew what we wanted. We had taken the time to dig up the holes, to plant the things, but we had just not been watering those things. Again, um, you know, you're going to see the fruit if you plant the seed, but you also have to water the tree. Several years ago, God gave Melissa and I a vision for church, uh, a church that acts like the one that we read about in the second chapter of Acts. There's a reason they call it the book of Acts. It's because God was acting in a certain way and God's people were acting in a certain way. And we envisioned a church that was doing what Jesus told his followers to do. We, were, we envisioned a church that was doing what Jesus told his apostles to tell his church to do. Basically, a church that really was functioning as the early church, a New Testament church, and that's to lead people to Christ. It's to teach them the truth, to teach them his ways. And then to take care of each other. You guys ever read the book of Acts? It's pretty phenomenal. It's something you're like, man, I wish I could see that. I wish I could be a part of that. That's what we envisioned for a church. We decided to express that vision like this. Urging people to choose the way, to know the truth, and to live the life. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we, we looked at that and we thought, man... I mean, it's right there. Everything's right there. God, uh, Christ's expression for what he wants the church to be and to do and his vision for the church. He wants people to choose the way, to choose him as the only way, to know the truth because the truth sets you free. And when you're set free, you will actually be able to live the life that he's called you to live. Amen? That's our vision, and we express it that way. Now, there's three important things that you need to know that, that God says about vision um, in the Word, and I won't go hog wild with this, but I'll, you can write this down real quick. I'll just sh- show you what it is and show you a couple of scriptures. When it comes to vision, God basically says, see it, do it, and enjoy it. <laughs> see what you want, go do it, or see what I've shown you, what I want, go do it, and then go enjoy it. Once you do it, you, you should be able to enjoy it. Most of us are familiar with Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Some of your versions may say something like, um, where there is no revelation or divine revelation, uh, the people will cast off restraint. Um, and I've, I've taught different versions of that. I taught a, a, an old Vulgate version, I think, two years ago when I taught on vision about how it says, where there is no prophetic voice, the people will scatter. And so there's all kinds of it. All is basically saying the same thing. I'm going to look at the message version of that this week. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Did you guys see that? Did you see what it is that causes people to be most blessed? When they tend to what it is that God reveals. It's the same thing we talked about earlier. You will see fruit if you plant the seed and water the tree. The vision, his revelation has to be tended to for it to come to pass. You guys following with me? Okay? So maybe that's a different way of looking at uh, Proverbs 29. We can maybe think of it, quote it maybe even in a different way. The prophet Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, you know, however you say it, (laughs) he said something very similar. And and you can turn there, actually, if you want to, um, or reference it later. I want you to write something in there when you do turn in there. But he says this. It says, he says, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. 
for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now, I want you to look at that real quick. I'm just going to kind of point these out. Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. See it. See the vision. See the revelation. What God's revealing, set your eyes on it. Then he says the one, that the one who reads it may run, so that the one who reads it may run with that vision. They will understand it, see it, and they will run with it. In other words, they will do it. So he says, see it and do it. And then he goes on at the very end. He says, though it tarries, or though, though it may seem like it's prolonging, wait for it, for it will certainly come. In other words, you will enjoy it. If you'll see it, if you'll do it, you will enjoy it. Again, we're, look, listen to what we're talking about. You've envisioned something, in, maybe in areas in your life. Now, we're talking about church, but maybe in your own life, there's something that you've envisioned for your life, maybe for your family, whatever. It doesn't have to just be about church. That's the context that we're talking about. But you have to see it. But, man, you also have to do it. Otherwise, you're never going to enjoy it. Is that true or is that not? It's kind of A plus B equals C kind of a thing. Um, I don't mean to get your, your math minds stirred up and, and freak you out like you were in junior high, but I'm just saying. Put your paintbrush to the canvas. Get after it. Go do it. Because you're not going to enjoy the, what you vision until you go do it. You want to be a, a, a pilot? Run with that. Go get instruction. Go log the hours. Go put yourself in that plane. Go put yourself in harm's way. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> you want to be a loving husband? You want to be a good dad, even though you never saw a model of that? You don't even know what that looks like? Run with that vision. Go read some books. Go put yourself in counseling. Do what it takes so that you can enjoy what it is that you envision. Can I get a hanky? Can I get an amen? Amen. You want to see your church be the church that you envisioned it to be? I've, I've heard people come up to me after services and just said, man, I just, I don't know what it is, but I just see hundreds of people worshiping together in this place. And I've heard that mostly over at the other place because they know it's really too hot to worship in here like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, and just people come up to me and I envision this, I've seen this, I've seen that. Okay. And that's great. That's wonderful. But we have to run with that if we're going to enjoy that. You want to see your church be the church that you envision it to be, run with the vision. Now, real quickly, I'm just going to say something about our church government, something that, that Ken brought up. At Soma, we, can, we say that our, our church is elder-governed. We say that it's pastor-led. We say that it is staff-ran and that it is church-owned. And what that basically means is that Melissa and I, um, for the most part, primarily, God has given us the ability to have clear vision on how to engage a community of believers in living the life of Jesus Christ. If you were to boil our vision down, it would be to see people living the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, you've you got to choose the way and you've got to know some truth first, but ultimately, that is what we're after in your life, in our own life, is to, is to live the life worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ Jesus. So Melissa and I primarily um, really see some of the things that God wants to do, especially in the beginning, and there are people that, that we work with and talk to and pray through for vision now, but, but that's something that, um, as pastors, we, we get to lead that. It also means that those things revealed to us, or whether it's to certain team members or whatever, those things are submitted to the discernment of men who, who fast and who pray in order to provide solid biblical authority um, for our church. It also means that, that we have a staff made up of some of the most gifted people that I've ever met that, that you know, consistently and diligently work hard 
uh, every week to take care of some of the day-to-day needs of the church, things that apply to you and to your family. We have a staff that is, that is carrying out those things. The, the Scripture um, would call that role somewhat of a deacon role, and, and they certainly are deacons, but also some of our life group leaders kind of serve in those roles too. But it also means that we have a community of people that have extremely high hopes and expectations for how our church can make a difference in this city and in this world, in the universe. (laughs) And they've made the choice to involve themselves in the works of the ministry. We're elder-governed, we're pastor-led, we're staff-ran. But listen, we are church-owned. In other words, you own the vision just as much as we do. In fact, you have things that you were envisioned for your church that maybe we're not even thinking of. And you own that. Am I, am I speaking uh, hypothetically here or are we just all swimming in the same water? Are we good? This is very important to know. Now, let me give you an example of this. This morning or tonight, <laughs> we're talking about choosing the way. And next week, we'll be talking about knowing the truth. And then the week after that, Melissa is going to be sharing on living the life. Take choosing the way, for example. This is how we express our conviction, basically, that people need God. (laughs) Okay? That Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. We believe that unless people put their faith and trust in Jesus, and only Jesus, that they're they're in a state of perishing, okay, eternally. And that eternal perishing will not change until they put their faith in Jesus. Um, They're internally separated from God. And we believe that God loves them. We believe that God loves you, that Jesus Christ loves me. He died. Jesus Christ died for us. And that the Holy Spirit is drawing every person um, to God. Okay, that's what we believe. We believe that that, um, also that God would use us to take that message of love, the gospel message, to people who've not heard it. And to people who have heard it, but they've ignored it, which is more of our culture, isn't it? Isn't it? I hear birds. Do y'all hear birds? Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. I don't know. Anyway. But let me ask you this. In this, how many people? Okay, think about this. Taking the message of God's love to people, but how many people? How many people are we supposed to take this message to? Seriously. How many people does God want to be saved. What did the Apostle Peter say, who knew Jesus very well? He said that the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. The Apostle John, who probably knew Jesus better than anyone else, is the one that said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. And then you have the Apostle Paul that came later, that Jesus, after he died and then rose again and ascended to heaven, visited Peter, I mean Paul, and, and knocked him off his donkey and, he, but donkey and told him this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you look at those three apostles, all three of those apostles got the exact same revelation. They received the same vision, and that, that is that everyone around them needs Father God. All of them received the exact same vision. Everyone around you needs Father God, and Jesus is the only way to the Father. In fact, Paul actually goes on and says, How then will they call upon him who they've not believed? And how will they believe in him if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone delivers that message, preaches it to them? But how is anybody going to deliver that message unless they're sent? And so there's this, there's this progression of we're not going to see the fruit of what you see or envision unless it starts somewhere and someone starts doing it. You're not going to enjoy the fruit of that. That's basically what God was saying through those apostles to us. Now, I, I got a couple of questions, and I don't have much longer, but I have a couple of questions. 
Have we envisioned only a few people around us coming to God through Christ? I just want you to be honest in your thinking. Have we really only envisioned a few people in Tyler around us at work, at school, in our activities around us coming to Christ? Have we only, viewed, have we only thought, there's some, some people might. Let's just be honest. And the other question I have is, have we planted and watered have we planted the seeds of the gospel? And have we watered seed around us based upon the vision that only a few may actually want to come to the Lord or that God would only want a few to come to the Lord? I mean, think about it. How many people, if, if I said, I want you to win as many people to the Lord this year as you can, how many do you think you can win to the Lord? Uh, I mean, how many would you say? Five, maybe? Ten? And that's a great answer, and yet God said that he will do immeasurably above and beyond more than you could even think or imagine. I, could, I mean, I think I could probably really reach out and get beyond myself and minister and maybe lead you know, several people around me. God says, hundreds. I could, I could use you to lead hundreds to Christ because he will do immeasurably more above and beyond. There's a place in, in Zechariah, you should already be there, why don't you go ahead and turn there, that I was reading, and I shared a little bit out of Zechariah. Um, last week through the video. If you didn't see the video, it sets up everything that we're doing this fall, so you might want to go back. You should be able to find it on our Facebook. Um, And I'm almost done, but I just want to show you something real quick because I think that our vision or what we've understood God's vision for how many people need to be saved has been way small, and for some reason I can't find. It's this way. I know it's this way. My pages are sticking together. There it is. Um, now this is Zechariah chapter 2 just a little bit of a background you know that um, he talks about and you can study it on your own but God's talking to Zechariah and he's saying you know your, your forefathers really missed it they really messed up they were disobedient they were worshiping idols they were turning away from me they were ignoring me they were in rebellion and so I disciplined them for a number of years and they were sent into captivity to Babylon some of us know some of that story but after it says and if you look at Isaiah 40 verse 2 it talks about how that season is now over that season of discipline, that season of hardship, some of your versions say different things, that season is over and it's prophetic about that season when, when God would release them from the captivity and bring them back to Jerusalem. And it talks about in, in chapter 1, and, and it will, really all of Zechariah is about this, how he's going to restore the people now. Your, your season of discipline is over. I'm bringing you in. I'm going to restore the people. I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to do all this stuff. And so in verse 2, you pick that up and it says, Then I lifted my eyes, Zechariah said, I lifted my eyes and I looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. Okay, and just real quick, that, that idea of a measuring line, it's, it's, this, um, it's this picture or this, uh, what's the word I'm trying to use? Um, it's a picture of a rebuilding. It's a picture of I'm about to address the restoration and the rebuilding of my people and the temple and establishing the worship and all that stuff. So this measuring line is like, like a step forward in we're about to get her done, okay? And so he says, um, so I said, where are you going? And he said, to measure Jerusalem to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out. But whenever he was leaving, another angel came out to meet him and said, run and speak to the young man, which was probably Zechariah. Go tell Zechariah that Jerusalem, listen to me carefully because this is the point I want to make. Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. Okay, so he says their measuring line was there to measure the walls. Okay, 
How many, how many, how many people can Jerusalem hold? How many uh, Jewish people? How many Israelites can these walls hold? But then it's like, almost like, whoa, 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 God, hold on, hold up, hold up. We got an update. This other angel came and said, go tell the guys this is what God is actually saying. I declare the Lord will be a wall of fire around her. I will be a wall of fire. Not, not walls. I will be a wall of fire and I will be the glory in her midst. And when I read that, and again, there's all kinds of stuff going on in, in this and you can study it out. It's really powerful. But what I saw was God's heart for how many people he wants to come into the kingdom. Not an amount that physical walls that can contain, but a wall that only he would be able to envelop, that he would be able to create, and it would be his fire, his glory, his spirit. You hear what I'm saying? And I think this is something that we miss in his heart or that we forget or that we focus, don't focus on or we miss the vision of it. And because we miss the vision of it, we are not planting and we're not watering the seeds and the people around us. And that's why some of us have never led anyone to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, do I say that in a condemning way? No, I don't. But what I'm saying it is in a vision-casting way. And I'm not casting my vision and trying to grow my church. You know me well enough that that's not what I'm about. But if we are going to be a church, a local expression of the overall body of Christ, if we are, then we've got to grab hold of Christ's vision for the church. And a huge part of that vision is that we go and make disciples. In other words, they're not going to become disciples unless they first choose Jesus. So part of that vision that Christ has for his church is that people be reconciled back to the Father. The only way that will happen is if people choose him as the way. But how are they going to know? How are they going to choose unless someone preaches that? Now, I get that we're in a very religious, everybody's saved environment of Tyler, Texas. Well, that means that we just got to think differently. We got to act differently. We got to pursue that differently. Amen? The amount of people that there's no earthly wall that can contain it. And really, if you get into it, it's really a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. And it's a foreshadowing of the church. The church can't be contained in walls. The church universal, the church at large, not one church, not one city, not one Jerusalem, but the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. Amen. I won't get into all that. So a couple questions I want to end with is what is... Your vision for evangelism. I just told you ours as a church to see people choose the way. These days, many paths to God are presented. We see that. Pluralism. We get that. Many paths. Relativism. Whatever works for you, man. But we're sitting here saying, well, that's not what we believe. We believe there's one way. And if people are going to go to heaven and go to the Father, they've got to choose that way. Right? Is that not what we believe? Well, how are they going to know unless we speak up? What is you, but what is your vision for evangelism? Have you, has there been anything that says, you know what, I'm going to, and it's okay to even get a little geeky about it. I'm going to, I'm going to witness to five people this week. I'm committing myself. I'm going to share the love of Christ with a believer or an unbeliever. I mean, everybody needs the love. I'm going to, share, I'm going to step out and I'm going to share something with someone. That can be a personal vision. What is your vision?
for evangelism. And as you think about that, how are you going to plant? And how are you going to water? Maybe even, are you going to plant? <laughs> are you going to water? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm just saying, wow, do we really got, have God's heart for evangelism? This is a big part of what church is supposed to be. Amen? If you've came and you said, I just see hundreds of people worshiping under the wonderful, authentic leadership of Sean and the team. I just see hundreds. When's the last time you've shared the love? When's the last time you've invited someone? Well, I never thought about that. Well, you've got to think about it. You've got to think about it. All right? That's all I'm saying. I want you to, I'm going to end with this. If you look, it goes on really quickly to say, um, before that, before some of this is said, he said, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there were four, four, four horns. Remember, God was restoring his people. Uh, they had been in captivity. They had been just jostled around by different nations. He said, I looked up and I saw four horns. So I said to the angel speaking with me, what are these? And the angel said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In other words, the nations that God used to discipline his people. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. What are, these, uh, what are these guys doing? What are these guys coming to do? And he says, well, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man can lift up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down their horns, the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah. In, order to, in other words, there were four nations. In Scripture, horn is, horns are almost always symbolic of power, strength. And so there was these, this, this um, nations that had strength that came against God's people. And I thought about this and how before the restoration w- began, these horns had to be thrown down. You guys hear what I'm saying? And I don't know, but in my spirit, something came up and said, well, what are the horns, the strengths, the powers that are holding us back from really evangelizing? And it came just like that because I experienced it. Fear, doubt, unbelief, and rebellion. And there's a flow to it. (laughs) You think about reaching out and the first thing you experience is fear. Oh gosh, what will they think? What will happen? What if God doesn't come through? And you can already see, what did it lead to? Doubt. What if God doesn't come through? What if these people get saved? As if that was ever up to us. Scripture says that some sow some water, but he's the one that brings about the harvest. So don't worry about that. You just sow in water. Amen? Enjoy the harvest that he brings. But that fear brings about this doubt. And I tell you, when you hang out with doubt too long, doubt, there's nothing wrong with doubt. I have doubts all the time. But you hang out with doubt too long and you let it really grab a hold of your throat, what it's going to produce in you is an unbelievable amount of unbelief. And when you step into unbelief, God's word says all kinds of things about that. A people that wallow around in unbelief too long, I don't believe I can do it. I don't believe God could do it. In fact, this is a bunch of hogwash. When you start... um, Um, swimming in that water too long, what it does is it creates a rebellion in your heart and you become an adulterous person as it relates to the Lord. You walk away. You look for lesser lovers, lesser gods. You see it all over Scripture. There's a reason that God continually called His people an adulterous people. And it usually started with fear. Maybe for them it was the fear of nations. Maybe for you, me, the people who aren't, aren't catching God's vision and running with it, maybe for us, It's simply a fear of, what will they think if I talk about Jesus? You know what I mean? It's like, we're in Tyler. They're going to at least be like, oh, okay. You know, probably nobody's going to like pull a gun. You know, I doubt that's going to happen. 
Again, it's a little strategic, it's a little more strategic than, than we may think it is because of how religious people are around here. But that does not mean, I mean, we just went through the, we just went through the Sermon on the Mount, which we, at, by the end of it, we had realized who were the people that Jesus was really speaking to. The religious people. And trying to call them to a, a different level of righteousness that superseded the scribes and the Pharisees. I've said a whole lot. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. I probably am. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me?